Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 welcome you are listening to hope and faith ministry a broadcast of the historic people's baptist church in boston new england's oldest african-american church hope and faith ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father dr wesley roberts senior pastor at people's baptist church we're so glad you're here Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. The title of the message today is Looking at Palm Sunday with Fresh Eyes. Looking at Palm Sunday with Fresh Eyes. Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week, which ends on... Easter Sunday. It is truly a holy week because it encompasses the most sacred events of the Christian faith, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All four Gospels record the events which occurred during Christ's final days before his crucifixion. These events are so familiar to most of us that we can easily miss the significance. The challenge every year is to read these accounts with fresh eyes. So look with me at the familiar account of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and see if you see what I see. As Jesus rides towards the city of Jerusalem, The crowds are growing and there is a festive atmosphere because it is Passover and pilgrims have gathered from all over the Middle East for this, the greatest of all Jewish holidays. Even before Jesus arrives, the news has spread that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And you can imagine the excitement that that prevailed. Some, I'm sure, were saying, surely he has to be the Messiah. Only the Son of God could do that, raise someone from the dead. And the news travels from one person to another until finally when Jesus was ready to enter the city of Jerusalem, great crowds, uh, estimated at between 100 and 200,000 people, had uh, gathered on both sides of the road. They had cut palm branches and were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Excitement prevailed throughout the whole city. Then Jesus looked over the waiting audience. He must have seen the mixture of expressions on their faces. There were those who loved him, perhaps Bartimaeus was there, a man who had received his sight, who no longer was dressed in his beggar's rags. 
How about Zacchaeus? He had paid back his debt to society and had made his peace with God. And the lepers, their skin had been cleansed and now they were rejoicing for the healing that the Lord had brought to them. Maybe Jairus' daughter was there, brought back uh, to life from the dead. And I'm sure Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and Mary Magdalene, they were all there. Their lives reflected the love that was in their hearts for this man who had done so much for them and changed their lives completely. There were also sinister faces there in the audience. Faces with squinty eyes waiting for Jesus to say one wrong word, to make one uh, mistake so that they could get at him. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were there. They were supposed to be the keepers of the law and the spiritual leaders of Israel. Jesus had gained so much popularity that they felt threatened. So full of jealousy, they watched him very carefully just in case he slipped up in any way. The Romans were there, fearing revolt and watching for any sign of rebellion against Rome. They were ready and waiting uh, to crush any uprising. So Jesus realized as he listened to their hosannas that soon the sinister voices would drown out the voices of love, that those crying for him to be king would soon be crying, crucify him, crucify him, or simply standing back saying nothing at all. See, Palm Sunday was all excitement, joy, praise, adoration. People were in a festive mood. Jerusalem was a city long accustomed to processions, Solomon's inauguration, and the return of Jewish military heroes from successful wars. But Palm Sunday was a different kind of procession. Jerusalem had not seen anything like it before. There was no tramp of marching soldiers, no glittering helmets or array of banners, and no colorful horses or battle chariot, only a preacher riding on a donkey. There are two things about this day that you may not have thought about that I'd like to bring to your attention. And the first is the choice of a lowly donkey. The choice of a lowly donkey. In Luke chapter uh, 19, 19, 29 through 31, as they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead, go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you will see a cold tide there that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs it. So the question is, why a donkey? 
Why not a horse, the steed of royalty, or a camel, the steed of commerce? Why this humble, downtrodden beast of burden, the poor man's horse, despised and often ill-treated? Note that this act was consistent with the entire life of Jesus, from his birth in a stable through his years as a carpenter, and then as an itinerant teacher of an unpretentious band of disciples until his crucifixion between two criminals. Well, let's go back and pick up Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, because um, it speaks of the donkey's colt. And uh, it says, Rejoice greatly, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, even on a donkey's colt. Now, I'm not, I don't know if you have um, been on a donkey. I have been. But if I was in a procession, I don't think that I would want to be riding on a donkey. And neither do you. When God wants to get something done, he does not select the persons or things that we would choose. As the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27 through 29, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important, so that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. You see, when God wanted to deliver the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt, he did not send an army to engage Pharaoh. We would have mobilized the best fighting, equipped, uh, best equipped fighting force to uh, humble Egyptians, or we would have sent the most articulate diplomat, someone who was skilled in the art of persuasion to negotiate with Pharaoh. But God did not do that. He sent a man named Moses, whose only qualification as a leader was 40 years experience tending his father-in-law's sheep, a man with a speech impediment who stuttered when he spoke. You see, the when Pharaoh looked at uh, Moses, whom he knew, he ordered him out of his presence with the words, who is God that I should obey him? He was to find out very soon who God was, not by the use of force, but by some little flies and frogs. The world looks at uh, frogs and flies with scorn, but 
they were the weapons that God gave to Moses. See, we may be weak in ourselves, but we have a mighty God. God delights in taking the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. How did God defeat the giant Goliath? Not by a spear or sword, but with a little stone sent by a little slingshot operated by a little shepherd boy. David was the last person we would have chosen to fight Goliath. But you see, that is why God is God. He chooses as his instruments people and things despised by the world. Many of you listening to me today may consider yourselves weak, ordinary persons with very little to contribute to God's kingdom. But that is where you're wrong. You see, God does not call us for what we are, but for what we can become through his grace and his power. God knows that some of us are weak in faith, weak in knowledge, weak in our resistance to temptation, weak in standing up for Jesus, but he has chosen us anyway so that he can demonstrate his power in us and through us. God knows our faults and our failures. He knows our fears and our our anxieties. He knows our trials and our tribulations. He knows all of our limitations and handicaps. And yet he has chosen us, called us to become his disciples so that he can empower us to do the things that he wants us to do. You see, when God calls a person to serve him, as he has called all of us here in this sanctuary, he gives us the courage to fight our battles. He gives us the strength to run our race. He gives us the boldness to press toward the mark and the determination to persevere in what he has called us to do. Every Christian can count on God to stand by him or her in the midst of the pressures of daily living. The knowledge that God is with us ought to enable us to face the unfaceable, to bear the unbearable, to hold on in difficult times, to faithfully fulfill our responsibilities, and to believe that believe God for the unbelievable. When we are at our weakest and feel absolutely useless and worthless, that is the time that God can best use us. So that when we succeed, we won't take the glory or the praise for what we have done. See, God uses those who the world considers weak, ignorant, and least likely to succeed in anything. And Palm Sunday shows us that God's ways are not our ways, and that spells hope for all of us as his disciples. Not only did Jesus use a poor little donkey that had never been ridden as his mode of transportation on that first Palm Sunday, But there is something significant, secondly, about the unnamed owners of the donkey. The unnamed owners of the donkey. Luke 19, 32 through 35 says, 
So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying our colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garment over it for him to ride on. Clearly, the two disciples did not know the donkey's owners. Otherwise, Jesus would have said, go uh, and get the donkey from such and such a person. But note the plural um, owners. Now, this is important because if the donkey had at least two owners, you can be sure that the owners were poor. The donkey didn't belong to some rich landowner to whom the donkey was just one of many. The donkey's owners, it would, to the donkey's owners, it would have had to be a sizable investment for each, for each of them. So why would the owners have uh, parted with such an investment to complete strangers, the disciples? The only reasonable explanation that I can find is that the expression, the Lord needs it, was a prearranged code word. You see, if this is so, then Jesus must have put a lot of planning into riding the donkey into Jerusalem in order to fulfill the scriptures. You see, God does not leave things to chance like we do. Whatever he does is done according to his predetermined will. Jesus had many friends beyond the circle of his disciples. There was the friend who provided the upper room in which he observed the Passover and instituted the Last Supper. There was the wealthy friend who gave the tomb in which he was buried. See, God's cause and God's kingdom always have unknown friends and supporters who are at the right place at the right time to do the Lord's bidding. Also, let us not limit God to whom we know when we have a need because he can do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And in peoples, we have seen many miracles take place uh, over the years as God has used people that we don't even know in order to meet uh, our needs from time to time. You see, God is in the business of opening and closing doors for his children and meeting our needs in unexpected ways. The owners of the donkey had something which Jesus needed, and they graciously gave it. Whatever you have, Jesus can use. It may be a heart full of compassion and tenderness. It may be organization or leadership skills. It may be teaching ability. It may be the ability to encourage others, the ability to serve in various capacities. It may be the ability to relate to people and to make them feel welcome and at home when they come to the church. It may be the ability to show acts of kindness which are so necessary in our day. Every Christian has some distinctive contribution to make to the Church of Christ or to their community. If you can't be a lighthouse, then be a candle. 
There are many who look for the opportunity to do great things for God, but few are willing to do the little things. God is not asking us to do great things. He just wants to use us as he sees fit. He determines how he will use us with the gifts and the abilities he has given us. Well, the problem is we have too small a view of God. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse, and verse 20. Now glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us. He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would even dare to ask or hope. See, God can use every one of us who name the name of Christ to do far more than we could ever imagine. No person who gives his or her life to Jesus Christ will ever regret it. If you're here today feeling that you are a failure, give your life to Jesus Christ and watch him work a miracle in your life. If you feel that you are a nobody, give your life to Christ and he will make you into a somebody. If you feel that you have wasted your, your life, turn over what's left to Jesus and he will make it productive. If you feel that your life is one big mess, turn it over to Jesus and he will make it one big miracle. So Jesus in the business of picking up broken lives and making them whole. He is in the business of leading men and women out of disgrace into grace, out of sin into salvation, out of shame into glory, out of guilt into forgiveness, out of failure into success, out of grief into gladness, and out of sickness into health. And let me tell you a little bit more about the Christ that I'm talking about on this Palm Sunday. You see, he was born contrary to the laws of nature. He lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He possessed neither wealth nor fame. In infancy, he startled the king. In childhood, he puzzled the scholars. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked upon the billows as if pavements, and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his service. He never wrote a book, and yet all the libraries in the country could not hold the books that have been written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters combined. Or he never practiced psychiatry, and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors far and near. The names of the past, proud statesmen of Greece and Rome have come and gone. The names of past scientists, philosophers, and theologians have come and gone but the name of Jesus abounds more and more. See, he was nailed to a cross and buried in a borrowed tomb, and yet he still lives. Herod could not destroy him, and the grave could not hold him. He stands forth as the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, feared by devils, as a living, personal Christ, our Lord and our Savior. So when we give our life to Jesus, 
we have the assurance that God will answer our prayers, that God will honor our faithfulness, that God will solve our problems, that God will direct our footsteps, that God will bless our efforts and meet our needs. But the greatest of all rewards is yet to come. For when the last trumpet of God sounds, and when our feet leave the earth, and when our bodies are changed, and corruption puts on incorruption, and mortality puts on immortality, when all tears are wiped from our eyes, and when time shall be no more, then we shall see him who is high and lifted up, the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who is the firstborn from the dead and the author of our salvation. And he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. And that is good enough for me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 8 a.m. and at 1045 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org. And tune in every Saturday morning at 1030 for another inspiring message of hope and faith.